What is going on, everybody? It's the Fly Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Martin Novak. This week, I have Bryce Prestwich on the show, a.k.a. Skyberry's FPV. He's the CTO of Rebel. He's the guy behind some of the latest design or frame designs at Rebel, like the Graffiti and the Ruckus. Um, he's a long-range master and dives some pretty gnarly shoots. So for this week, we talk about all those things, kind of 101, basics of flying long range, how to get into it, all the way up to like ideal setups. We debunk some of my own and some industry um, FPV theories. It was cool to get his uh, perspective on a lot of this stuff. He's got an engineering background and has some hard quantitative data to back up some of these theories. So it's a great episode, lots of long range stuff, lots of long range stuff. Hope you guys enjoy it. And as always, see you next week. And I actually still work for them right now, but I built a, a CNC mill that I needed for some projects. And uh, I was like, well, I got to get something that doesn't break. So I ended up milling out of uh, about four years ago. I milled my first HDPE Univati quadcopter. And I still got it today. I mean, I think the thing, it's still probably fly, but I beat that thing up so bad. I, and when I went to this park and I didn't know anybody else that flew, but I was sitting out my chair. I was getting all ready to go. Like just, you know, classic FPV style, one chair, middle of the whole park, dude sitting down with like some electronics and a guy walks over and he's like, so either you're going to do some sort of really weird long fishing or you're going to fly a drone. I was like, oh yeah, nice dude. You must fly drones too. And he's like, yeah. So I was like, I was so excited to show off my drone that I built. So I plug it in. This is still like on three cell. And you, you know, you do the classic, you know, newbie show off my drone, full throttle punch, just for takeoff, just straight up in the air, about 200 check feet. Check this out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Check this dude. And I'd just gotten, I'd just gotten brand new, like the Lumineer race 220, like three or 2204. 2400 kb motors dude like oh man i was feeling so the hot like, my ride was so pimped out i was thinking that and i didn't know how to tune and it takes off and it does the class like up into the air i didn't know it was wrong and i'm expecting this guy to be like oh dang that's sick and instead i get Ugh. <laughs> it's just <like> self-esteem <laughs> rock bottom but it was just these local guys, and I started flying for them. Um, we designed a frame together, was how I got into designing quadcopter frames. And, I mean, after that, it all just snowballed. Started going racing, got heavy into racing, just started making goofy videos. And and then uh, the rest is history until I met Chase. Yeah. Um, I, that's pretty funny, though, like, being at a, like, thinking you're going to show off a quad, and it's, like, someone that knows what's good with quads. Yeah. You know, like you're like, yeah, check this out. And someone's like, I think you got too much D on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like yeah. mine was too much of everything. My my arms could literally like flex up and down because they were just plastic. Oh, so my God. thrust vectors were never in the, were in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, like, like a lazy eye motor going one <laughs> yes, way under exactly throttle. exactly what it yeah. was. I pulled um, the quad out yesterday. So I was with a kid and he's learning to fly and I, I pulled it out. And uh, I was like, this is my first quad. And he was just like thing is gross yeah it's so hideous. like well you can only go up from here so enjoy it yeah <laughs> yeah i thought well, you were gonna is... i thought you were gonna say like uh and that dude was provo <laughs> yeah, yeah i wish yeah. that'd have been hilarious it wasn't until later where i met him i remember uh when i first met provo we had set up this track and he had to do this big split s in the track and you know my typical split s was go way out flip over come underneath 
and that was, I mean, Provo was the first person I saw flying who actually had a lot of airspace awareness. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what these things were capable of. So we were flying with, I was flying with him for a while, um, and we would just, we would make tracks like twice a week for a long time, just practice, practice, race, race, crash, bust everything. But yeah. how far do you, yeah, it was good. you live from Provo? Um, so I'm about right now where I'm at, I'm about 30 minutes, 30 okay. minutes from the Provo area. That's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Yeah. I'll actually be moving down closer that way. Cause, uh, uh, UVU, Utah University is where I, I just got accepted to mechanical engineering for my bachelor's degree there. So I'll be moving a little closer that way to go to school. Nice. And you did, I was looking at your Facebook page, you did like the two year community college and then transfer to get your BA route. Oh yeah. You can't beat it, dude. Especially since the community college here, um, it, it used to be a technical school, but then it became a community college um, because the government came in and said, we need a better pre-engineering program. So that's pretty much basically one of their main fields. So most of my teachers taught at, at the U of U or they taught at like BYU or like everywhere else. This one guy, he was working, uh, I think he was making 350 K a year working for these oil companies. And like 20 years ago, he's just like, yeah, I'm done with this. I think I want to teach at community college. So I like, just, I got that FU money in the bank. Now I can just kind of yeah, hang right, back and do like, what I really want to do. Who does that? <laughs> Whose dream is to teach at a community college? He has like three PhDs, but anyway, it's been, it's been great. So I've got a great education there. Uh, now I'm moving on to the university. So we'll see. And did but you I should have some, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying I should have some scholarships lined up or something. Nice. So, did you go um, to college right after high school? Like, and follow up question: How old are you? Me, yeah. I am. Oh, shoot, I can never remember if I'm 26 or 27. 25. I was born in 1992. 27. So, yeah, 27. So, I'm, yeah, and birthday next month. Okay. So in August, but yeah, so I graduated high school. I went to Argentina for a little while. And then uh, came back and started doing school, but I did like two or three semesters before I really knew what I wanted to do. I was like, oh, I'll just do, you know, the classic, I'll just do my general education associates that everybody does and waste a bunch of time in school before they figure out what they actually want to do. So that's been my story, but a little bit backwards because I started working, um, just designing a lot of parts, I just taught myself how to, you know, do the CAD, do the CAM, how to design, look a bunch of stuff up on YouTube, try to figure it all out. Uh, started designing printers and started working as the in-house mechanical engineer where I was at. And then I was like, dang, I should really, you know, go to school for this because this is awesome. And then I discovered how hard it is to actually go through engineering school. Bro, I've looked at some of those curriculums. Like I was looking, um, not that I was going to go there, but I was like looking at the CU one and it's just like... I mean, you get such a good scope of knowledge, but it's like some deep stuff like thermodynamics and like fluids yeah. and like all this stuff that, I mean, depending on what you do, you may or may not ever use, but they definitely make you learn it to get the degree. Yeah. And it's the, the hard part isn't like these intense classes. It's all of the science that goes up to it. So it's like you have to do calculus one, calculus two, calculus three, differential equations, physics one, physics two, chemistry uh, statics, dynamics, and then finally, once you get through all of those courses, then you can start taking engineering courses like thermodynamics and 
strength of materials and then like thermodynamic strength of materials you're going to be using your calculus you're going to be using your physics you're going to be using your chemistry you're going to be using all of these other things so it's cool once you get to that point because it's like you're two years in you've just been learning just like cramming as much as you can in your head and now you're to the point where you actually get to start using it yeah so and like being um like you know self-taught for a lot of this stuff before you like decided to go the school route um as you're like taking these classes and stuff is it pretty relatable to all your fpv stuff oh yeah like i for many of my class projects i've just grabbed a quadcopter (laughs) it's like (laughs) straight up (laughs) yeah it's like nobody really understands these things it's a drone so automatically people are intrigued but oh i need to do some sort of uh, physics system okay pull my quadcopter draw some thrust vectors on it look this is where my you know physics system goes in oh okay i need to do some sort of programming thing look this is my quadcopter this is the program it uses this is a pid loop oh i need to do some sort of strength materials look this is a quadcopter i mean this is i mean carbon fiber composites are a little bit different but this is where the frame has a resonance. So if I, you know, take the arm shape from this and shape the arm shape to this, now in this range of frequencies, I have effectively mitigated where the resonance is translated through the frame. Oh, apologize. I've got guinea pigs in the room with me. I guess they decided they just got hungry. <laughs> dad, dad, dad. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, I love it when you talk about this stuff. It's so exciting. Yeah. They're probably um, like, get on with it. But yeah. That anyway. makes a lot of sense because, um, like, there's always, like, and I've talked about it on the show, like, I have all these, like, theories based off of feel, but having, like, quantitative knowledge to back it up with would, you know, help me sleep oh, at yeah. night a bit. It, it's because it drives me crazy, dude. Like, I'll be reading on the internet. If, if, you, if you get triggered easily, the internet is not a good place for you. <laughs> yeah. so I'll, get, I'll get triggered, but I won't, like, respond or get on the internet and, you know, go all kind of crazy on it. But this hobby is too full of what I like to call bro science. It's just it's just science your bro tells you like bro, if you put the battery on the top of the quad, your quad flies like twenty times better. Like what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Bro, you can't have the GPS that close to the to the GoPro because the GoPro knocks it out. What? The <laughs> yeah. GoPro has a GPS built into it. If the GoPro was knocking out GPS, it would not be working with yours. You got something else going on there, dude. Yeah. So you see a picture of the quad, the GPS is like upside down. Yeah. You're yeah. like, mm, no. I, I have seen FPV cameras that will knock out a GPS, and the GoPro usually is next to the FPV camera. So insta facto. <laughs> It's not my duty to go and correct all of these, you know, bro science things, but I do, I do have a, a good time going and like, I'll hear something and I'll be like, well, you know, I'll, I'll draw out some equations and run some numbers and be like, oh yeah, so that one's really far off or that one's like, you know, I, I see where they're going with it, but. Yeah. I just imagine someone being like, yeah, uh, top mount is better than underslung and Bryce like in a corner with like a bunch of whiteboards and numbers just like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There have been many times where, where I've just been talking to Chase and I'll be like, you know what this means, Chase? And he's like, uh, you're going to get your whiteboard, aren't you? I'll be like, yep. Yeah. It's all like three markers on my whiteboard. Three colored markers. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to explain that to Chase. And he'll be like, I don't really care. Just get to the end answer. I, yeah. mean, I trust what you're doing. <laughs> um, what would, like on that front, what would you say are like some things that you found out that might be misconceptions? Like cameras next to the GoPro knocking out GPS is a good one. Um, ha- have you seen anything like other things that stand out? 
Yeah, like uh, motor soft mounting was was interesting for a long while. Um, it's better to just mount your your flight controller soft mounted. If you actually get in and look at the black box data from a soft mounted motor versus this, that, the other. I mean, depending on how you're soft mounting motors, but that was a big kick. I even got on that kick for a while before I realized that what I was doing was not anything. Yeah. But uh, a lot of where GPSs go, um, there was, uh, let's see, what was this last one? I think the latest one was this GPS thing where, you know, you can't have the GPS on top of the GoPro because it will knock out signal. And I was like, uh, no, like that's the very best place for it, if anywhere else, because you get that GoPro and it's sticking up tall. You put the GPS on top of it. Now you have the ground plane of the GPS above a lot of the noisy systems. So, I mean, I put it up down a bunch of all, a bunch of different places on the quad and, you know, I saw like two or three more satellites on top of the GoPro. Well, you know, whoopty freaking do. It didn't really make a difference. Um, there was, uh, there was one, uh, like antenna placement is one that I see the most often where people are like, oh, you want to have your antenna here or you need to have the, the latest trend I've been seeing is those antennas that are like freaking five feet long and they're coming like way up out of the quad. I was like, whoa, like I hadn't seen that for a while, but, um, I mean, if you, I mean, if you want to run them like that, you can, but I don't know that you really see any improved range. Um, I've also seen people like, oh, you got to mount your crossfire antennas like this. You got to mount your crossfire antennas like, oh, you got to have the ground element going out the bottom or the back of the quad and the active element out the top. You got to make a V. You got to do this, that, the other. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of stuff that's based on what they've seen before and has some rhyme and reason, but the way that they're explaining it, it's like, it's not really why you would run that configuration, but that's okay. So I don't know. I mean, I mostly just I hear something like that and it'll it'll rub me the wrong way, and then it'll be water off the duck's back like a day or two later. I mean, yeah. they're not going to tell me how to live my life. Why would I tell them how to live their life? You know, you you need to have. I should make stickers. I should be like Skyberry's approved, and like if I like their build, I'll stick my little sticker on their yeah, helicopter. Like, <laughs> nice antenna placement, two stars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said you one of my Skyberry's approved stickers. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, great. You know what? I really don't care what you think. <gasps> yeah, it's a weird place, too, because I think, like, added on top of that um, is, like, what setup you fly and what you fly it for. Um, like, sometimes having, like, if you're not flying that far away, saying screw it to quote unquote proper antenna placement and putting it in a place where, like, you're just never going to damage the antenna yeah. is worth more. And that's more. what I do on some of my quads, too. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, as long as the equipment is performing and you're having fun flying, why, why does it really matter? It shouldn't matter. Yeah, that's I mean, why we should try to add have the, to. Always try to add the disclaimer of like that's the way I like to run it. Um, no science behind yeah. it. It's just that's how I like it. Yeah, right. It's like my my very first quad. You know, I like that my motors can change thrust vectors while I'm flying through the air. It's really fun for me to not ever have a tuned quad comfort. That's how I like to fly. Yeah. Now, if someone says that, I'll be like, hmm. I'm gonna call BS on that, but for the uh, most part, like a like a Jerry Springer show, and the results say your footage does not look good. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I mean, you see all those jitters and rolling shutter. That's my style, dude. Like, that's my style. Yeah, that GoPro. Copy my style. I want people bro. to know it's an action cam. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't... If you're getting sick, that's my that's my form of art. Yeah. That's, that's whatever. I don't feel um, like I don't really have any like gripes with like how people's quads fly or anything like that or like their two cents on, you know, like whatever tips and tricks unless they uh, preach it like it's the the one like it's the binary way to do it. It's either wrong or right, uh-huh. you know, because like we've all been through like yeah. stages of our footage looking good our flying like you were saying I used to like go out do a split S and come back like everybody goes through that phase where you like line up a trick finish it go do the next thing you know it's like yeah. not linked together um which is totally fine but then I think sometimes in FPV people get on this like these are the best motors ever and I'm like but your flying says you're not really ringing them out you know like uh not like in a bad way like i love josh bardwell and i've learned a wealth of knowledge but sometimes when he's like telling people how something flies i'm like you don't really like you know you don't send it like i'd rather hear it from like you or like nurk or jet or like these people that i know put in like tons of packs versus like just have the knowledge yeah i mean and and you'll see like the subtle difference there in the way people explain things too it's less of this is how it is and more of my experience has been. Yeah. You can so tell like it's jet, a good quad because of the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because of the way it is, it's probably going to fly like this. Yeah. So, not like people are like, oh, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, in your like FPV journey, how far into flying did you start sending it in the mountains? Like, was that like um, right on your list? You were like, I'm going to go do this stuff or was it like a slow like okay i have crossfire now and you know it was uh no like as soon as i got my first quadcopters built i was like those mountains are dope i'm headed up there and it used to be because before i had crossfire um i mean the only experience i'd had was with the immersion rc 433 system or whatever the easy uhf Yep. And I was like, oh, geez, I don't want to put that on my quadcopter. It's too big. So I would just hike around. Like if I wanted to go hit, hit a shoot or something, I just had 2.4, and I would just hike. I would just climb up the mountain to where I could then, you know, get to the line that I wanted to hit, and I could only fly, you know, so far into it. But, I mean, some of my very first videos were really terrible videos of me trying to, you know, fly these shoots and stuff before I learned how to tune a quadcopter before I could really have range or distance or I really understood that the dynamics of a quadcopter I was just out there just trying to do whatever I could and just loving life because it was so awesome to be able to fly in these mountains yes it feels uh it feels like SSX tricky like the amount of air and stuff like that you can catch and like how fast it goes and it's too fun yeah oh it's just oh such a high at this point it's just kind of like therapeutic for me now yeah. Like even just go burn some packs at the park. Like, do, do I you, definitely prefer the mountains, but do you still um, like get stressed flying in the mountains? Because like for me, this like flying in the mountains wasn't like a stress of like actual like stick inputs. Um, at the beginning, it was like the gear stress. You know, like you you yeah. physically know you're far. You're like, okay, this is probably a two hour hike. Like you're doing the math uh-huh. a little bit in your head. Um, do you still get that feeling, or is it pretty shut out? Uh. A little bit of both, I guess. It it really depends on the day. Like, I guess, so I've never, I haven't lost a quadcopter up in the mountains. I've searched for many, many other lost drones, like Provo's lost drones that we just have never found up in the mountains. But I've never lost one personally yet. At this point, like, 
it used to be, I used to just, it was like butterflies in my stomach when I was going up the mountain and I kept to the top and I'd do the reveal and I ride down the ridge and the whole time I was just like full of pumped of adrenaline, but not so much anymore now, but it, it's not like it's less fun. I discovered that I used to fly for the adrenaline, but now I just fly for like, for the, for the fun of it, for the release, because it's, I don't know. Same. Like, uh, They're saying the same thing over there. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, I totally know what you're talking about, yeah. man. I'm waiting to get out of this cage. <laughs> Flipping guinea pigs. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just a feeling, I mean, when you've got this huge long ridge line, like, you're, you, you've just climbed, like, 3,000 feet with your quadcopter, and you just, all you've got is just this awesome spine to just roll down. I mean, you know what it's like, all you have to do is, you just have to basically fall down yeah. the mountain and you get to the bottom you're just like whoa that was so incredible or like some flights will be flying along and i just like seeing what i find like one time i was flying on the backside of mount tifinogus and i came across this group of like 15 mountain goats so just like up the ridge line followed all of them they were all there went and did the same flight and backwards and they were all gone again then this other time, I, I would find these, uh, people like to climb these mountains a lot, so they'll make these, like, rock Karen towers on the top of these yeah. peaks, so every now and then I'll try and fly to a new peak, and I'll see whatever somebody's put up there, and then I'll fly back. That's pretty sick. Um, and the, yeah. like, the Utah mountains, um, like, the Rockies are sick, I love them, uh, but the Utah mountains are more dramatic. Yeah. Um, like, you got bigger elevation gains at a faster rate. Um, the Colorado mountains are, like, very, like, long and sloping, and then sometimes you get some ridges and cliffs. But, like, when I went out there a year ago and, uh, like, just being in the area, not let alone seeing your footage, and then, like, the only thing I flew was Y Mountain with Provo. And even that, to mm-hmm. me, was, like, an endless playground of fun from a parking lot. Like, it was yeah. so convenient and easy and so much elevation. I remember I missed that day when you rolled through. I was in class. And probably like, hey, like this guy's going to come fly through, and he seems pretty cool. And it's like, you don't know who that is? Like, yeah. oh, it'd be so awesome to fly with that dude. Yeah, which, uh, thanks, Provo, for the mad shout-out. You actually owed me a meal. So that's why I hit you up. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, well, because we we met at the Tiny Whoop Invitational not this year but the year before, and like he was the only one that was down to get up early and go fly. So he was like, "Where do you want to be?" At so and so, and then we went out and got breakfast. And I was like, "No, I'll roll through. Uh, I'll roll through Provo sometime, and you can hit me back on a meal." And then I was rolling through, and I was like, "Hey, man, you want to go fly and get some food?" <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and around that time, uh, wasn't that when, what's his face, uh, Skywalker Zach lost a quad somewhere up yeah. on, up on the mountains and then didn't you like get it back to him somehow? Uh, no. So I was going to, we were going to go hunt for it, but this was, uh, this is back when nobody had really unlocked the seven inch tune or whatever. I think he had eight inch on it or something. I can't remember, but, um, yeah, he lost him at Y Mountain, and they went up and they looked for it. And I was going to go look for it too, but just it never happened. But I just remember that it was like this little this little pot of gold. Like all he wanted was the GoPro on there, but all I wanted was to see the tune because apparently this one was flying really well. I talked to him after, and he was like, "No, that thing flew like garbage too." <laughs> you just oh. get up there with a laptop, take it all off, and put it right back. You're like, "Nope, I haven't seen it." Yeah, it's like, mm, sorry, man. Wipe the prints <laughs> off and everything. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, that's great. 
Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was when uh, that was when Purple was switching his house, and we were trying to fly our quadcopters through through his glass windows, like breaking the glass out of the house. And yeah, that was super entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was fun. That was so fun. <laughs> did the did the quads handle the glass pretty well, or like besides props? Um. Well, I don't want to like over exaggerate this, but I think the best answer to that is that the quadcopters do not handle windows at all interesting like you'll be going the, the best way to do it was to try and like becoming like the glass pretty fast and then try and flatten out so all four motors would hit the glass at the same time and then it would like maybe fracture the glass but the glass would like it hit and bounce back a little bit while the glass was breaking so it was hard to actually be able to fly through it and then the glass will like cut your props and like a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, you got to put a uh, like a nail on one of your arms sticking out. Like you know those cops have like the window breaker thing, yeah. and it's like one little yeah. Tink a tink. That'd work. Yeah, but <clears throat> yeah, so it didn't work very well. Not nearly as well as we were hoping, but man, it was still fun trying. Yeah, super fun. You need some uh, like old mid nineteen hundreds uh, like windows, you know, like hand- yeah. handmade old brittle stuff. Then stick a joust on your quad. Yeah, I've always dude, wanted dude, that. Would be fun. Jousting. Is FPV jousting? Yeah, like I've, I've tried it without the joust, and uh, that's still eventful. <laughs> that's just like ramming bulls head on. <laughs> yeah, we we had a track set up, and it was this terrible. It was this terrible transition point where you go full throttle this way through a split S, and then you would come full throttle back. And uh, Christian was uh, he was flying his his uh, racer three he was practicing through the racer three and i was just with my regular quad and we both hit each other going full speed and uh it was it was really interesting because the way they collided both quadcopters got cut in half through the body whoa and, yeah like we hit hard and i'm sure the racer three's like top plate cinematically exploded or like top oh, yeah. shell thing well I, i'm surprised at how much of a tank those things are like if you've ever taken on a racer three it, it's like it's like fighting a tank. Like I mean, just as, rarely do you win. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> those things are massive. I've never flown yeah. one or seen one fly, but uh, Jesse's got one hanging in his office, and the thing's massive. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're they're pretty cool little systems. I really like what they they've come up with uh, for the systems. But yeah, like if you're racing that thing against a bunch of other five inches, like if the five inch doesn't get out in front and out of the way, it's really hard to get around a racer three. Interesting. So, I, uh, I mean, I've got mad respect for those guys that are racing those things on the DRL. Like, to be able to maneuver those things around, I mean, it's fun, because it's a total spec race. I mean, no one quad is better than the other quad, so there's no advantage. So it's a lot more, uh, a lot more, uh, I mean, watching as a spectator, it's really cool to see, because they're all lit up and stuff, but uh, the, the piloting uh, capabilities of those people knowing when to pass, you have to be a lot more smarter, you have to be a lot more wise in your maneuvers. Like, uh, you gain a lot of time on the track based on how well you're able to complete a maneuver, not how well you're, not how fast your quad is actually able to go. Yeah, I th- and I think it's um, like it's really enjoyable to watch then because then you know, um, you know, like it comes down to skill, and you can tell when like like watching a DRL race versus like a multi GP race or even um, like a DR1 race or something. They're just like they're flying so much more like calculated and thought out. Like, yeah. There's like some real race strategy in it. You can't just like when in doubt, throttle out move, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Provo is a great example of that. When we go flying, like anytime we go flying, he's very calculated. He's very methodical in, in, in where he's going. And that's, um, that was where I really picked up 
on that. And it, it translates really well into doing long range and like uh, riding different shoots and stuff. Cause that, that was a transition at, at first for me, it was, um, it was figuring out what my system was capable of. Like we were going out there with five inches, five inch quads, 2,400 KV or whatever. And I just was sticking like these 3000 ma batteries on there to try and do long range. And I'd see, Oh, like now I can get two miles out. Okay. So then I would stick a different battery on or a different set of props and, Oh, it looks like I'm pulling 12 amps at cruise speed. And now I'm pulling, you know, 11 amps at, at cruising. And so, it, I mean, I got a lot, I got a lot more, uh, I guess comfortable once I had actually started doing like looking at the numbers and seeing if I'm pulling this many amps on this battery, this is how long it'll last. If I'm traveling at this speed. Um, then I should be able to cover this much ground. And then I'd pull up Google Maps and be like, okay, so now instead of only being able to go here to here, now I can hit this new line, and now I can. And then after that, I just started compounding and I started tuning my long range builds to to do a bunch of other stuff. And uh, and and then was when I was like, now I'm going to start trying to see how far down in these shoots I could get. And that was where it started to get a lot more methodical too. There was this, uh, I remember this one shoot, we called it the Jedi Run, because it had so many twists and bends in it, and you'd be coming down through it so fast that you just, you had to anticipate. While you were turning left and hitting the gas to get around this bend, you just had to memorize that the chute was like left, right, right, left, right, left, or something like that. And so as you would, before you could see the next turn, you were actually already turning the quadcopter so you could hug around the next side. After, after I ran my first shoots, I was, I was like, you know, I just, just when I thought I couldn't get more addicted to this hobby. Yeah. Now I can, now I can write down these shoots and, oh man, it was so fun. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. and I'm sure the racing plays into that a lot. Cause that like, that to me sounds super like F1, like you're kind of going so yeah. fast that you're like muscle memory. You're like, you said like right, right, left, whatever. And you're like yeah, pretty it, anticipating the apex before you can even see it. Yeah, I mean, it's super similar because racing, you're linking gates and in long range shoot riding, you're linking features. And so, you know, at this tree, you got to hook a ride at this amount. And at this other tree, you got to be able to drop the throttle to stay down in the chute. And at this place, you got to pump the throttle to get over this boulder, or this bush or something. And when you so, like that, that shoot specifically, because I think that that is the craziest one like ever in the history of FPV. Um, it's just like, <laughs> like as a viewer you're just like oh 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 my god you know like it's just like one after the other turns and like the chute gets like really tight in some spaces and it opens up a bit and then it tightens um in again do you like ease your way into it like will you fly over it for a few runs or whatever and like get a gauge for it and then like start lowering yourself into it more and more yeah so definitely like the the most important thing you can do is the flight up because on the flight up, you'll see where your video gets spotty. And like a lot of the, the places in these shoots, um, you'll just be barely on the cusp of having video. And on some shoots even, I'll be getting better video off the reflected RF on the mountain behind me. So I'll, so sometimes I'll be flying this way and then I'll quickly turn my head over here because I know I'm getting a little better signal from there and then turn back. And, uh, and so you just kind of on the way up, you see, okay, this is where this, this section has a lot of ghost branches. This section, the RF gets a little spotty. Uh, this section is where there's a big boulder. And then my favorite one is, okay, this section that I'm just flying over now is where if I needed to hike up to get my quad, this is the section I wouldn't be able to hike past. 
So this is your point of no return section. This is going up, 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 and then you get to the top of the chute, and you'll come down once, and then usually by the second battery going up, that's when I start feeling more comfortable really dropping into them, um, starting to line things up, um, getting a feel for, for what my speed's going to be coming down. And at first, it was just trying to just kind of control my way down and stay in the bottom of the chutes. And then uh, now I've found that I actually like to, to hit the gas on the way down, see how fast I can hit these things now. Yeah, that's when you know you're getting it. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's when you just, like, you hit a good line, and you land, you're just like, yeah, I'm probably, like, the coolest person in the whole valley. Right yeah, you're, now. like, out by yourself. You're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And then your buddy's like, oh, yeah, you forgot to push record on your GoPro, though. You're like, no! Dude, how many times has that yeah. happened to you? Oh, my wife still makes fun of me, because every now and then it still gets me. It's like the one noob move that I just cannot kick. So like if I'm on set filming for a director, I have to check my GoPro like three or four times to make sure it's still recording. Yeah, I uh, I do like I I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to do that all the time just because I would like get in the flight and especially if I'm like at a spot where I'm just like unplugging, plugging in, going you know one after another, then I would just like skip one. And then when I was doing the yeah. ski shoot, there's like. At the beginning of every uh, clip, there's, like, four little bits of, like, my head leaning into the frame, like, look, <laughs> looking at the GoPro real quick, just double-checking. But something I yeah. thought of recently, um, like, I don't know if you wear a smartwatch, and if anybody out here is listening um, that's an app developer, make something for smartwatches where I can look at my smartwatch and it says, like, GoPro recording. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That if would the be GoPro so app didn't suck so bad, I would use it. Yeah, dude, it's yeah. The GoPro app sucks super bad, um, and it would all I would need is like a red flashing light by the time you know, just like a little blip that I'm like, yeah. okay, good to go. Yeah, you'd yeah. be good. Yeah, or um, if I could wire into that GoPro, I'll put a big old like one of those police domes on it. When it's yeah, recording. or a GoPro make a <laughs> make a bigger light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least they gave us on the front and the back now that it, that now you can hide two lights when you mount it on your quadcopter <laughs> definitely um but in bright sunlight that like i'm I, you know like i have to put like my hand over it sometimes like especially if you have like the tpu mounts that cover the screens or whatever so you can't see like the time yeah. rolling on the front yeah when so when, when i was doing dr1 i would always it was the same habit i would go over and i would check their gopro to make sure it was always recording and uh i got a hold of the, the editor's name that I knew he was going to be editing the clips afterward, and it was like Mado or something like that. So every time I'd go over and uh, and check my my GoPro, I would tell him like a knock knock joke, or I would tell him some goofy phrase, or I'd, I'd just lean in and be like, "I talked to Mado." So he's got like probably this compilation of clips of me checking my GoPro to see if it's recording. Yeah, so read in, leave some lean gems in, in there, tell him like a joke or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what Confucius say. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just a bunch of dumb stuff. Man who goes to bed with itchy bum wake up with stinky finger. Whatever. Like Thirty See you later, later, the guy's like, "How is he still doing this?" <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. where did he hear all this stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, in the background, like googling. Like, yeah. Um, for your long range yeah. builds, what is like your go to? I mean, your go to setup, I guess. First off, and then like, what is like the spectrum of props and battery size that you think is like the best return to? like pros and cons value you know yeah um that really depends because there are two different kinds of people in long range and uh, i have a quad for each system uh you'll hear the people that are all about flight time and then you'll hear the people that really understand long range and 
That's, when someone asks, like, what's your flight time? I, I, I don't hate it when they ask me that. It's just, who cares? Because if I'm going to do eight miles, then I have two different bills. I have one bill that I'll do the eight-mile flight in, you know, 13, 15 minutes. I have another build that only has, like, a six-minute flight time. But if it can cover, like, still, like, six or seven of those miles in five or six minutes, I mean, that means I'm just railing. I'm just, you know, hauling. So I have two different long-range builds. I have my ultra-long-range build, which is on 5S. Um, I've actually got a new um, system that I'm working on with Rebel right now, prototyping. And uh, it's it's super promising, but it hauls a 2700 uh, five-cell battery on eight-inch props. And, I mean, that one's just got range for days. But it's not quite as fast on its feet. And then my usual claw that I grab is a six-inch ruckus. And uh, six inch, usually eighteen hundred KB. Um, I, I like to run six S. Five uh, S is actually a little bit more efficient than six S because the little FETs on the ESCs, as if if you look at how efficiently they can turn on and off at the higher voltages, um, it's not quite as efficient as the lower voltages. And where long range, you're just barely sipping on the battery. You're in that realm where adding. Um, higher voltage doesn't actually increase your efficiency. Because, like, if I'm only pulling 9 amps on my way out cruising, then I could actually be cruising. Um, I'm, I'm putting a GPS on my quad to, to see exactly what the ratio is so I can track my speed. But let's say 6S, I'm traveling at 50 miles an hour, whereas on 5S, I'm traveling at 55 or 56 miles an hour pulling same amperage. Um, I think I'm going to... Think that the numbers would show that 5s is going to be actually a little bit better for doing like range, ultimate range. But 6s for me is just a lot more enjoyable to fly. Like my cinch, my six inch, my 6s quad, I can go out three miles and I get about a six miles round trip. But I have a lot more fun doing that six miles because I'm going, you know, ten miles. Yeah, you're not faster. just like commuting. Yeah, it's you know, are you doing your daily work commute or are you getting out there to just? Haul down these ridge lines and shoots, and uh, a Gab seven hundred seven, a Gab seven hundred seven is a good example of that, and Jet as well. Like um, when they go out and do long range, they they like to go fast, and I personally, for me, I like that style of video. I like zipping through the trees. I like just cruising down these shoots. I like getting to the top of the mountain, and uh, maybe it's not the most efficient. Maybe they could, you know, if they dialed back on the flying, we can save another, you know, minute or two of battery, but. I would rather, you know, just bring more batteries. Yeah, bring more batteries, packs. and uh, if the worst thing happens, it's going to be a slightly shorter hike, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my typical go-to is the new the the Ruckus three frame. I really like it. We went to a I went to a ten millimeter arm on it um, when I was designing it. Cause I would design it. I would do a revision. I would do black box testing and see where the the resonance frequencies were. Um, and then I would modify the arm or see which arm profile would fight that frequency. And then, uh, so moving through and I settled on a 10 inch arm for both five inch and six inch and seven inch. And it tunes so much better now. So I usually grab that frame, 1800 KV motors, um, just, you know, 6S capable ESC. And then I have just fallen in love with the Azure six inch props. They're a little bit more heavy prop but they perform a lot more reliably. And where I'm not super interested in ultra, ultra efficiency, 
which if you're if you're concerned in efficiency, then it's really hard to beat the the air screw by blades. But you have to like balance those. Um, but you can you know squeeze another half mile, maybe mile range out with those over the Azure props. But you, every time it's like a throw of the dice whether or not your video is going to have rolling shutter with by blades. So. That's why I always go tri blades. It's because it's like I can be at least, I mean, no six inch is perfect, especially with long range, but I can be at least 90% sure that my video is, my, my HD video is going to be quality. Do you find, um, like for me with props, like for freestyle quads, um, I love the lightest possible prop just because it spins up so fast and you get this, uh, like quick response time. Like I love the Johnny 4.8 inch props. Um, but with, you know, longer, longer range stuff and in the mountains, do you find that sometimes heavier props where you're not really like going to zero throttle all the time, you're kind of staying in it. They have like a better cadence that fights outside forces better, like wind and stuff like that. Like they, they stick to the air a bit more. Um, I, I want to say yes, but honestly, I don't tell the difference in a light prop versus a heavy prop for long range. Um, I'll, I'll notice, like, in the corner of my screen, I'll be like, oh, I'm pulling a few more amps. Like, I'm, instead of cruising at 9 amps, I'm cruising at 9.7 amps with this heavier prop on. But as for, like, stick feel, I really don't feel much of a difference. I mean, with, I mean, with larger, the larger the prop goes, it really just depends on how much the FPV gods are smiling on you that day for footage-wise, because... Like I've had one, I've had quads I'll take out that just fly like so amazingly well, and then I'll take them out the next week, and it's nothing but but jitters and rolling shutter. And on this ridge line, it flew great. And on that ridge line, maybe the wind was buffeting it a little bit different. So now it got it's got this weird like knock twitch in it in the tune. So I mean, I don't know. I I went down the rabbit hole for tuning uh, a while back, like black box tuning. I was doing this. Uh, what is it? Tree thing. I can't remember what that program was to was was, but I and it was just meticulously tuning the quadcopter. And what I actually found is when those said that your quadcopter was perfectly tuned, the HD video didn't actually look very good. Yeah, so that I is do, that balance. Yeah. So it's like, are are you tuning to make the quadcopter feel responsive, or are you tuning to go out and get good video? And so I kind of try and find the balance there. Typically what I'll do is uh, I'll get it to where the quad is super crisp and sharp and, uh, and is tuned really well. And then I'll dial the tune back a little bit, not to the point where it starts feeling loose and mushy, but I'll like lower my P by like three or four clicks. And, and uh, depending on, on the firmware, I mean, every firmware is different now. Maybe I'll increase D a little bit or decrease D a little bit or, um, remove one of the filters or put one of the filters back on, and then then's the painstaking process of tuning for the HD. And that's what that's kind of what I go through for anything above a five it's inch. Like the worst five part, inch, man. Um, yeah, that's you, why five inch is so nice. Yeah, and Just, with the HD, like um, like you got to pull the SD card out for that tuning process. You know, like it's yeah. Like I feel like I can get it to that. It flies and feels good pretty quick, and then that secondary yeah. tune it for the HD is like a whole different journey. Yeah, I mean, you got to pull the card, you got to put it on a computer, because if you just pull it off on your phone, oh, it looks great. That's why I like posting Instagram so much. Yeah, just like, oh, bring dang, it down, this, man. What what oscillations? Yeah, this <laughs> this clip on my 5K monitor is unusable, but yeah. it looks like gold on Instagram. Just derez that sucker to 720p, baby. That's what Jordan yeah. was saying. He had got that huge like 6K monitor, and he was like, "Bro, even Johnny's videos aren't that great." 
Yeah. That's, that's what I noticed. And that yeah. was when I was like, oh my gosh, I need to call, I need to stop being such a perfectionist. Yeah. Like, you will not meet anybody more picky than an FPV pilot when it comes to video. Like, I'm starting to look at these, like, Ford commercials and stuff. Like, they have the, the camera on the, you know, the crane in the back of the car. And I'm like, that... That, like, during the Super Bowl, like, that commercial, that, did you see the clip? Did you see how crappy the quality of that picture was? Like, it was, like, jittering up and down and stuff. Can you believe that Ford actually paid millions of dollars to make that ad? Like, uh, yeah. I was like, oh, I, I should, you know. It's weird how FPV, like, brings that out of you. Because um, I'm the same way. Like, I'll be, like, yeah, yeah like, watching TV. Um, and even now, like, down to, um, like, wa- like looking out for, like, color grading and, like, you know, shot styles. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool to shoot an FPV video, like, in a place like that with that kind of color grade. And it's just, like, the wheels yeah. are just forever turning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, got a, I got in a bad habit where if the quad didn't perform how I wanted to, I just huck it in the pile, cannibalize that sucker, build the next quad. And so I've just got this bone pile of just half-built quads. Like, oh, those motors weren't flying very well. Then I'll, like, pull those motors and put on a new build. It's like, what was I thinking? These motors are great. Yeah, that's um, totally. It's weird. Like, And like you were saying, too, um, like with a quad flying great and then not. With your long-range stuff, do you – have you ever, like, gone out and, like, tuned at a park or something and then you go, like, 3,000 feet up in elevation and it feels different? Um, I've heard of people having that happen to them. I haven't had it happen to me personally, though. Yeah. The one thing I do notice is, though, at higher elevation, I will be using more throttle. Yeah. Um, so I'll be using more amps, but I haven't had it affect my tune. The biggest thing I ever noticed um, that's, like, hard to tune for at a park in, like, a chill setting is, like, you know, cresting a ridge line and you get that wonky air coming off of it. And like, yeah. You can tune for windy days, but it's just weird. To, there's some weird stuff happening up there, man. Yeah, I'm, I did find one thing that helps me though. Um, as long right as you're coming up at the ridge line, um, if you just if if you squint really hard in your goggles, it looks way better. So, and you don't know <laughs> if the air's buffeted you around. Out of sight, and so out of mind. So you don't feel bad about it. So you're not as conscious. Yeah. So that that's my tip. That's my long range tip. Like if if you're not sure if the video looks good or not, just squint. It'll, just, probably, it'll probably look better. Just like half shut, so your eye, you can still see enough to fly put that in the in the video description make sure to squint yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just just squint, just squint. <laughs> um, uh, there was one time that i was flying and i uh, i had my buddy and i were we were uh, really working the angle of like trying to chase each other doing long range and so we were getting pretty good at it so i just i flipped to his video channel and i was flying my quad by I looking at that. my quad from his quad some gta yeah that was that was pretty fun a little nerve-wracking, but pretty fun. And with all this long-range stuff, I don't think I've ever seen you with a ground station. No. So, I mean, I probably should. I just, I don't know. My, I've heard of people having these horror stories where they can only get like a mile away or something. And I, I do my, my antennas a little Turns bit Turns out they're like four foot eight tall people yeah no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah like hiding behind a boulder or something yeah i'll notice a lot of people you know it'll be the classic thing they'll, they'll put their goggles on and then as they fly you know yeah. their head gets 
progressively, progressively lower and lower until they're like staring at their toes and their directional antennas point is straight at their transmitter. <laughs> yeah, I have to, I compensate for that. Like I put my directional antenna at a bias, like tilted up on my goggles because I know my oh, head yeah. drops like to 30 degrees every time I fly. I've got, I've got this, uh, this idea I've envisioned and it's, it's going to be a ground tracker that you, I'm going to put on a little chair. And so you'll sit down in this little FPV chair and I'll have this, this, uh, ground station tracker on it and uh as your quad moves they'll just spin you around in the chair that's such an over function function but i love it (laughs) yeah i mean it'd just be fun to have just as as the quadcopter flies over you the chair like whoops around to the back or something it'd be super disorienting but it throws you out of it that would be weird too like it'd be weird um like if you ended up in a different position like you sit down facing one way and then you land and your your body's facing a different way like just getting up and taking the goggles off to like a whole different backdrop would be kind of a yeah trip. oh super disorienting like every now and then i'll uh, i'll be flying in a park or something and i'll try and walk to the other side of the park or i'll try and run to the other side of the park while doing orbitals around myself and like just trying to, to turn the quadcopter and then turn my body a different direction i'll usually get about 20 30 feet until i just i just lose it and i can't i can't get myself pointed in the right direction as i'm running that, that's but, a that's like some good FPV orientation training because I think everybody goes through yeah. phases of like okay I'm starting out I gotta sit down okay now I can stand but I do some weird stuff with my body when I'm flying right um, <laughs> like if don't can, judge me yeah but if you can take like some <laughs> steps while you're walking and stuff like that it totally helps with that like sense of balance and because it's like the yeah. equilibrium right like um, like flying out of a moving car like your body's equilibrium thinks it's turning it's turning left and in the goggles your eyes think you're turning right and your body's just yeah. like what is this oh or like flying from a boat have you ever flown from a boat before brutal terrible it's yeah. terrible and you better hope the water's class yeah which yeah. you know how many of us actually have that privilege but yeah, I, yeah. Like, I flew out of a boat on uh, Lake Dillon, and it's like in the video, you can just see it like going over a wake. The boat's going over a wake, and the video <laughs> looks like it's going over a wake, too. Yeah, just for a right. split second. It's like, then the boat stops going over the wake. Like, smooths back out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I'm going to fly from a boat or a car or something, I go in, and I was like, okay, cranking Expo to 10. Enhance. Enhance. Yeah. <laughs> then I usually end up crashing because I'll be like, turn, turn, roll, 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 roll. Oh, I hit the objects, did roll. Yeah. Um, yeah, FPV, I mean, there was a while there where uh, where Christian and I were uh, we were just seeing who could find the best blind gap, where basically you just huck your quad, you fly out like a couple miles, and you huck your quad behind this boulder or something, and wait for video to pop back in the other side. Uh, that was good training because it taught us to be a lot more calm when we were doing long range. And, like, if anything happens or, like, video goes out or, or this, that, the other, the first instinct of a pilot is, like, hit the throttle. They usually, like, flinch or something. And, I mean, with these antennas, you have, you have like, your, your beam width. And, uh, and if you roll off the beam to, like, 30 degrees or something, then uh, you can decrease your signal. I mean, depending on what antenna you have, but you can decrease your signal by, like, you know, 30, 40, 50% as you, as you roll off of this as you roll off of this bubble. And so as pilots are moving their, their head around, um, sometimes if I'm getting bad video, I'll sweep my head to see where my video is the best. And then I'll go back to that area to, to maintain my video. But I mean, a calm head more, not more or less will save your quad, uh, when you're doing long range. Yeah. Like if you're, and we've had times where we're three miles out, I mean, we're really pushing our range and all of a sudden the goggles do that thing, you know, where they beep because the battery's low. And you're just like 
start crapping a brick because you know you're not you're never going to make it back in time. So that was when we would point the quad back at us, and whoever was flying with us, they'd be like, "Okay, you ready?" We're like, "Yeah, go for it." And they'll unplug our goggles. We'll just sit there and wait while they get a new battery and plug the goggles back in and then set it to the channel if it's not on the right channel. And uh, then you're like, "Oh, oh save, still save those yes. favorites." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, I owe you, man. I R- owe you. R seven. I'm an R two. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, uh, R1, R3, R5, R7, yeah. R... Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it just like desensitizes they, you to a bit. They bend down and look at your crossfire. Well, the light's still green, so I think you're still in the air. I think you're still flying. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that too, because that, t- that morning I flew um, with Provo, he was like too lazy to get out of the truck um, to fly. Mm-hmm. Like it was cold morning and stuff like that, so he was just sitting in the truck with the windows rolled down. And he was like, oh, I'm starting to lose video. And, like, with the goggles on, he just, like, opens the door of the truck, like, holds the radio and, like, steps out all with the goggles on, like, never takes them off, closes the door, and then, like, grabs his radio again and keeps flying. And I was like, dude, I I mean, it's it's a small thing, but uh, it's pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, other people are, like, death grip on the remote. White knuckles, sweaty palms. Uh It's a process. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the more quads, I mean, I mean, I don't know anybody's lost as many quads as Christian has. I don't I mean, either. <laughs> like he, he, he's winning the game. He's winning the game with every lost quad, though. He has gained experience above everybody else. Yeah. Like, um, um, with, yeah. With people like getting into a long range, like a big question or like topic that would come up in my DMs a lot would be like. Hey, can't wait to get into long range. Um, what should I build? Like, what's your setup? And for me personally, like a lot of people didn't realize that pretty much every single video I made in the mountains was on a five inch 1300 yeah. setup. Um, like what would be your advice for someone that wants to get into long range? Let's take a break to thank this week's mid roll sponsor. My advice is to stay with five inch. Um, you see a lot of people building six inch, seven inch for doing long range. And you go out there and you ask them, you know, how much range do you actually want to do? And they're like, well, I've got this peak. That's pretty cool. And you pull it up on Google maps and you're like, it's only like a mile and a half out. And, um, that, that's how it was for me too. When I was starting long range, long range was a mile. Like if I was a mile out, I couldn't hear my quad anymore. Holy cow. My mind was blown. I was doing long range. And, uh, so my advice is just get, just get a five inch. Um, if, if your quadcopter can only handle four S then just do a five inch four S. Cause I was flying my five inch four S as I was pushing all the way to two miles out and two miles out. You're like, Oh yeah, that's like, you know, not very far at all. Dude, but when so you're flying far. a drone and you're two miles out in that fish, that's high a FPV, long ways. you turn around yeah. and you look back and you're like, Holy crap. Yeah, like, where am I? Like, two miles, that'll get you at the top of the mountain. Yeah. I mean, that's substantial. The farthest I've gone is four miles out. And uh, and that one I did need some special equipment. But anything under two miles, I mean, maybe two and a half. Just get a five-inch. The video is going to look better. Uh, the parts are going to be, I mean, it, it's going to be a lot easier to tune. It's going to be a lot more predictable. Um, you can use a lot of your the same equipment they're using right now. I mean... The only difference between the modern 5-inch build and the long-range 5-inch build is how comfortable the pilot is at flying it. Most people are running Crossfire. 
Most people have a VTX that's capable of at least 200 milliwatts. I've, I've gone out two miles on 200 milliwatts. Um, I would definitely recommend getting a VTX to do 500 milliwatts. But the, the key, the absolute key to doing long range and being successful with it is getting a good set of antennas. Like a good set of antennas on your goggles, a nice good new antenna on the quadcopter that's not beaten up. Because a lot of the time, the elements on the inside the quad inside the quadcopter antenna will get damaged by the more times you like smack that thing around. Um, personally, I'm a real big fan of the Axi. Mm-hmm. Um, the Axi does. You don't have to know that the Axi performs better on the lower frequencies, like R1, R3, are going to be better for the Axi antenna. Whereas like the spiral net antenna is going to be better for like R5, R7, those higher frequencies. Um, but a good set of antennas, because if your video starts getting a little sketchy or hairy, then automatically you feel less secure in, in that, in that long range flight. You feel like you're risking your gear a lot more. So that's all it is, is just basically for, for me, I'm a little different person. I had to actually get on my whiteboard. I had to draw out the numbers. I had to see, uh, my battery consumption. I had to program my, uh, uh, my quadcopter, I had to tune the current meter on it. I needed to, I wanted to see all these data and statistics because I wanted to know exactly what the range of my quadcopter was going to be with the numbers. And I went out and tested it. Like I remember the first time I, I really did the numbers. I was like, okay, this setup, um, I've been, I've only been flying it a mile and a half out and this is capable to two and a quarter mile. If I keep my amp draw at 12 amps. So I went out there, I, I chose a route on Google maps that was two and a quarter miles out. As soon as I passed the mile and a half mark, I just started sweating. I was just getting so anxious. I was like, this is where I have to turn around. My battery voltage just hit 3.8. I'm a mile and a half out. Like, oh, this little knot in my stomach. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because the numbers don't lie. Yeah. And I flew out there and I flew back and I landed and my battery was like at 3.6 and then it bumped back up to 3.7. You know how batteries do when they land. That was just like a huge eye opener. After that, I felt way more comfortable doing long range because I knew what my system was capable of. But that's really the key to long range is it's not so much the equipment as much as it is the pilot. Yeah. So you heard it here, people. Just, just get out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I felt with like uh, the five inch 4S builds. Um, really, it was the way up that was affected. Like you just had to treat the way up like a chairlift ride, which to me wasn't a bad yeah. thing because you got like a great scope of the terrain. You had time to take everything in, pick out some landmarks, mm-hmm. like do all this stuff, get oriented. Um, and then the way down was a ripper. Whereas like then when I yeah. came out there and flew with Provo and he had like his uh, five or six S six inch, like he was ripping on the way up too. Um, yeah. where I was just like, chugga, 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 Yeah. Yeah. We, we started to, we started to, it was interesting to see how we kind of developed because Christian and I really, um, after one of the racing seasons was over, that was when we both got into long range together and he would build a new setup to test something and I would build a new setup to test something and we were flying together and we played off of each other really well, um, doing long range, but we came up with this, uh, it, it, it was the 50, 50 rule where you, you know, half your battery out, half your battery back. And then we did the, we got a lot more comfortable with the 60-40 rule and then sometimes the 70-30 rule where you use 70% of your battery on the way out and then 30% of your battery on the way back. And then after, so we, we migrated that route so we could get out farther and we could still dive down these ridges on the way back because we'd be coming a lot faster on the way back because we wouldn't be trying to climb elevation. And then I've gone back to about the 50-50 rule because I've gotten impatient. I just want to get to the top of the mountain really fast because I want to have fun on the way up and on the way back. 
Yeah. And so now I'm kind of dialed back to the, the 60, 40 rule on, on most of my flights where 60% of the battery out, 40% of the battery back. Yeah, that makes sense. And you get a little with like ratios closer to the 50, 50, 60, 40, you get like a little bit of wiggle room in case something goes awry. If you're getting yeah. down to like 70, 30, it's like, I got to be back at this time um, you know, yeah. on the dot. Yeah. Cause I, I had designed this one build that it was, it was purely for range. That was all I wanted. I was running a lithium ion, seven amp hour battery. Dang. Um, the battery could provide like, I think it was like 160 watts was its max continuous current supply, which on, you know, a 16 or volt battery or something or 18 volt battery, that meant I had to keep this quadcopter current pull under 10 amps, which is pretty hard to do on a 4S build when you're actually trying to get somewhere. Yep. So I was like, okay, well, you know, this is what the numbers say. So I went out and I flew and this quadcopter, I was flying on seven inch by blades. It flew for 28 minutes. This is why, I mean, it's like flight time is irrelevant to me. I flew it for, for 28 minutes. I covered just shy of 13 miles in this whole route, did like 3,000, 4,000 feet elevation game in, in, in a few places. And uh, I almost made it back. I was just like, I, I was like a eighth of a mile away from, from my target. Um, I just climbed up a little bit too much elevation. I burned too much battery on the elevation. And after that flight, we both looked, Chris and I looked at each other and we we're just like, that was painfully slow. Yeah, that like, is. We didn't have... We did not enjoy that flight at all. It was so boring. And but here I had minutes the is so long. ultimate. Yeah. I mean, imagine flying your Mavic for like 27 minutes just without the range limit. It was so incredibly boring. Yeah. Like, and, and the footage didn't look good because you'd have to like, to make it interesting, you had to speed it up like three or 4%, which made it look all weird. And so it wasn't fun to fly. It wasn't fun to watch. But... At least I did it because yeah. I was like, well, this is what the numbers say I would need to do if I wanted to have the ultimate long range quad. So when people are like, what's the ultimate long range quad? I was like, eh, build a fun long range quad. Yeah. And get I a five inch, get, get something you can dive with, get something you can, you know, do a bunch of stuff with. Definitely. And I think it's also like everybody that gets into long range flying kind of goes through that um, process. Like you were saying, like, you know, flight times and, um, like I was saying, people that want to build up long range rigs, like there's a part of you that like wants the distance and then you build a rig that can do it. And then after like X amount of flights, you're like, this isn't that fun. You know, like I'd yeah. rather fly a bit closer. It's either not that fun or it's really hard to tune or it's not very reliable. Or it's just straight, bo wise. yeah, like the, the boredom factor, like 27 minutes, like would be great if you were like doing multiple shoot dives, shredding ridge lines, like all this stuff. But if you're just like, yeah. chugga, 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 chugga. Yeah, just yeah. like, mm, just putting along. I, it had no pull out power. It had no punch. It had no, no extra kick or zip in the tank. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, it was painful. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's how things go. Yeah, you just go. I yeah, like I don't. I, me as a person, I just gotta like learn the lesson myself and go through the process. Like someone could tell me something a hundred times, and then on the hundredth one time, I'll try it and be like, "Oh yeah, you guys were right." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll fight the system for a long time too. Um, Christian fights the system. We all fight the system. I think it's part of this FPB. Yeah, um, and. Moving from like long, well, not from long range. It's still a long range topic. But how did your relationship with Rebel come to be? 
Oh, that is actually a very interesting story. So, um, perfect. Let's see. I'm gonna try and figure out how to <laughs> not more or less censor this one. But the first time I met Chase, um, so Christian was already sponsored by Rebel. I'd heard of this company. I didn't really know anything about him. I was pretty much, I'm a fairly oblivious person. Like if something big happens in the FPV community, I won't hear about it until like two or three weeks later because, you know, I'm usually out flying. But I'd heard of this company, Rebel. We went up to this radius in Idaho, and um, I initially met Chase. Remember, I got out of my car. Uh, my wife and I had traveled there together, and we're at this park. I walk up to him and I was like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? Like, I'm Bryce. He's like, oh, nice, sup. Where'd you guys sleep last night? And my wife and I had just, like, slept in our car. We just, you know, laid the seats down, filled up an air mattress. I was like, oh, you know, we just, you know, slept here in the parking lot. He's like, do you know what they do in this park at night? It's like, such a what? good chase voice. It's scary. Yeah, and then he <laughs> proceeds to tell me, and I was like, I don't think I want my wife to meet this guy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to go get my quad ready to race. He's like, okay, sounds good. Honey, yeah. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if that is what you felt you really needed to tell me upon, you know, meeting you face to face, then you're an interesting dude, man. Like, <laughs> That's <heavy>. awesome. I <laughs> yeah. always wanted to hear about what goes down in the, this Chase, Chase is like, I mean, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah no, it wasn't like that. He's like yeah. super intense. He's like, this is what they do here at this park at night. You're lucky that it didn't happen to you. I was like, I'm flattered that you think that I'm the kind of kind of individual that other people would target for that kind of activity. <laughs> okay, okay. <Yeah. laughs> is this like you're trying to drop a hint, like drop a line, like or, I don't know anything about you. Are you married? Are you not? Yeah. Yeah, Chase, he's a, he's a super solid dude. He just likes to have fun. So after that, um, he pulled me on as a sponsored pilot. Uh, long story short, um, uh, I got some of the gear. I designed some, some of my own parts around it, uh, started making videos. He got interested uh, in, in content and ability, and after that, it all just snowballed. And So here we are, uh, uh, designed the ruckus frame, designed the graffiti frame, Graffiti has a long, long history to it of, uh, of lots of tests and trials that we have. Uh, right now, we've got four more systems in the works. Um, I got I got brought on as the, the chief technical officer of Rebel Mini Quads. Now I handle all of the design and fabrication and and uh, and a lot of the manufacturing over at Rebel now. So I mean, it, it's been it's super fun. It's super fun. Yeah. So I mean, that's like. Uh... That's a pretty like dream gig. Yeah, like, getting to play yeah. um, with like designs and stuff like that, and really like put them to some like testing and prototyping, and um, not only make great frames, but probably just learn a lot about making great frames. Yeah, because I mean, you, there there are two ways to do frames. I mean, one is you just cut the shape out and then keep refining the shape of the quad until it flies how you want. And another one is, say, kind of lay it out and be like, okay, we want something new, we want something different. Uh, Chase is really good with, like, design, um, with with getting something fresh, with keeping it keeping it new. Um, he'll sacrifice, uh, so he, I mean, not sacrifice performance, but he'll sacrifice some 
some simplicity to make sure that it's a nice, fresh, clean-looking product. Hashtag Whereas I will sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll, I'll sacrifice, you know, the looks for performance. Like I might come up with something that looks just like terribly, just terrible, but like performs really well. And Chase will be like, uh, "Yeah, go redesign that. That looks terrible." Like, "Oh, okay." And that's how the graffiti was. Like I went through like the first three or four computer revisions of the graffiti. And, uh, cause I knew how I wanted it. I wanted the battery. I didn't want it on top, but I didn't want a bat on bottom. I wanted to basically pull all the components and arrange them to where the, uh, the moment of inertia. So, so the, the degree to which the quadcopter would fight rotating would be minimized. And then it would also be directed directly through the center of gravity of the quad. So I was playing with different shapes, seeing where different components would fit to get it all drawn together. And I finally got it. And it looked pretty bad. So Chase is like, well, let's clean up this line. Let's change this here. And so working together, um, Chase and I have come up with quite a few really good projects. And we've got another one that I, this, this, this new frame that I'm hoping to get released within like a month or two is specifically for filming like on set or, or, uh, on paid gigs. Uh, it's got a lot of really cool innovative features, but I've redesigned that one. I, redesigning right now i'm on revision 13 of that one now Dang. but it's got a lot, of, like cool, editing process. A lot of cool yeah right yeah so I me mean, i'm a terrible editor i just edit on my phone i'll admit it i just use power director like download gopro clips click 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 audio oh, file yeah make sure it kind of syncs up boom instagram Done. <laughs> so i need to change that but like when it comes to designing a quad i get pretty pretty nitpicky but I mean, we've got these two new filming platforms. We've got a new long-range platform. They all look super, super nice, but they're performing really, really well, too. So I'm excited to get those out the door, uh, get those in people's hands, mainly just because I think that we're going to bring something somewhat new to the game, revolutionary on one front and completely new and game-changing on the other. And I'm excited to see what people do with it. That's kind of why I wanted to make these quad wheels. Uh, I made this quad wheel video because I just wanted, you know, I want to go to a skate park and have some wheels on my drone. Dude, that video stuff. is so sick. Chase sent me the first one <laughs> that you guys did or that you did, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. Like, I'm not really feeling it too much. And then the second one, I was like, bars. This one is so sick. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've been I've been running quad wheels for probably like three or four months now. It's just working on it, refining it, re revising it, like, oh, the wheel, this wheel isn't rolling very well, or this one seems to stall and flip the quad backwards, or this, you know, yeah. this subtle changes, and then finally, I send that video over to Chase, and he's like, I, 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 I can approve this. This one's I good. think you finally got it down. Yeah. And, and Christian, is, Christian was the funniest, because he was like, wheels on a drone are so dumb. Why would you do that? Like, just use skids. You're not going to do anything with a wheel that you can't do with a skid. And I was like, oh, okay, well, the challenge, challenge accepted. accepted. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and he and I, we would talk smack all the time. I'd be like, now, I'm going to have my quad with wheels on it. That's not going to make you feel bad, right, Provo? He's like, well, as long as you don't feel bad, then I'm not going to be able to, I'm going to be doing tricks that are three times as cool as you're doing with your dinky little wheels. And we were smack talking a bunch, but uh, Provo actually was holding the camera when I was filming that edit at the skate park and just a matter of he, I, he wasn't all about the wheels because of how cool they were to roll up and down stuff, but they gave a lot of shock absorption to the quad. Like there were things I'd hit the spine. I wouldn't level out. Right. And I just pancake on the cement or, 
like just rail full speed into the rail and just smash into the rail and bounce off. So he's like, there might be something to these wheels in, in the case of durability. That, that was how I knew that I'd finally gotten it right. Yeah. Was when he when he was starting to change his tune. I was like, I think I'm onto something. The now. light bulb went off in Provo's head. That's the, that's like yeah. uh, okay, I, we're we're moving in the right direction here. Yeah, I think this is it. I think I landed it. <laughs> Um, something you like just mentioned too um, about like the moment of inertia with the graffiti and it was one of the like I was on the phone with Chase and um, I was telling him about my usual setups that I fly and I was like I really think that like having your prop line and CG and even your flight controller gyro all as close to the same plane as you can helps a lot especially with like tuning and feel and on my um, like usual freestyle rig I run a toilet tank battery but I put a wedge under it so it's tilted so that when my quad mm-hmm. is like in its usual forward flight the battery is flat um oh gotcha yeah which is exactly what the graffiti does is like you know it's top mount but it's at at an angle but when the thing's in like pretty normal forward flight it's all like a flat plane um going through that process like did you see like the value in it like would you do it again do you think it's like a proper thing or do you think it can be tuned out and it doesn't really matter hold on the pentagon's calling yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, well, I guess to answer the question of does it make a difference uh, with electronics emplacements, um, well, obviously I'm going to say yes because I spent a ton of time designing quadcopter specifically around it, but not, I guess, not to the degree that that one would think. So changing moment of inertia. So moment of inertia is like if you hold like, I mean, you say you're holding a ruler and you try to twist that ruler. If you're holding it in the middle, it's got a force. It's, it's resisting you applying that torque to it. Now, if you take that ro- ruler and make it three times as long, it's going to resist your torque a lot more. I mean, maybe the mass didn't ex- didn't go up a great deal on this on this ruler. Maybe it's made out of wood or foam or whatever. But the moment of inertia went up quite a bit. It's resisting the torque. Well, those motors on the edge of the arms, they're applying a torque to the quadcopter to try to roll it. And to stop the roll, it's applying a torque on the other side. So the more you can get the mass of the quadcopter toward the middle of the quadcopter, the more your moment of inertia goes down, which means the less work that your motors and your flight controller are having to do to keep this quadcopter flying how it's supposed to be flying. So the reason that the whole concept behind the graffiti was to be a a real um, street quad freestyle. Um, it was made to take a hit. It was made to just kind of fly reliably, and it was made to be I mean something that you just grab and then have have a good time flying. And, uh, and so that's why I tried to really nestle the components together on there is what our main interest was. And so now we got this frame where it was we build it up and it flies so well uh, without a whole lot of tuning. I mean, you can take a quadcopter that's got a lot of mass out towards the ends of the arms, and if you're good at tuning a quadcopter, then you can apply a tune to that quadcopter, which will, I mean, bring it into acceptable flight characteristics. But the graffiti is made to already be at those ideal settings after building, so you really only have to do, like, some tweaking here or maybe a little change or modification there, and you can keep it riding within that band of, of a really tuned quadcopter a lot more easily because it was made to be a freestyle quadcopter. 
that makes more sense. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting contrast. Like, I got the graffiti in the mail, looked at all the parts, and I was like, am I just building one drone here? Like, how many, how right? many, how many are like, in this? Oh my. And then the Ruxes yeah. was like the polar opposite. It was like, you know, <laughs> super simple, minimalistic. Um, yeah, like just such yeah. a great contrast. And, and the graffiti, it used to be 10 times worse. Like, when I was initially trying to get everything fitting together and moving on there it was i mean we had like four or ten different things of hardware we i mean the aluminum was too chunky here the it wasn't the right accent there it was so finally i got it to where all the components needed to be and then after that uh chase and i started working on the cosmetics of it because you know you can't just have a claw copper that that flies good it's it's got to look pretty dope too if you're going to feel really proud of it in the end you're going to sell it for uh, money yeah right yeah, yeah. so if you're gonna sell if you're gonna market them then you got you have to market the product now i have lots i have countless frames that i've just made for myself they're just one-off products and because they're just very purpose built but i mean and the ruckus is another story but with a completely different a completely different approach the the, the purpose behind the ruckus build at least the gen 3 was to make a quadcopter that is one of the most reliably flying efficient long range and race platforms that it can be. And uh, so that's why we went to the um, the new arm locking system where it locks the arms in with all the displacement screw. Um, and also if you take that quadcopter with the underslung battery, you point it towards yourself. Um, when you're flying at about 45 degrees, which is typically what I'm doing for long range, you've got that camera, the GoPro on there and the FPV camera. And then the body of the quadcopter trails behind that, and the battery trails behind that. So really, you've streamlined a lot of uh, um, of the drag areas that would be on a quadcopter. Which you're thinking, you know, you know, how much is you know battery sticking out the back actually going to add for drag? But it all comes down into the thrust vector, because if your quadcopter is pointing forward, I mean your motor's thrust vector is pointing straight out the top of the motor. So as you're moving forward, that's what's making you move forward and up. Well, you obviously have ground, if you take that thrust vector and you split it up into an XY component, then you have, you know, your force up is obviously how much is, is the force down, the force yeah. of gravity. That's how much your quadcopter is pointing up, is it's fighting the force of gravity. Well, the more farther forward it's tilted, that's the force of drag on the frame. And so as you minimize that drag, you can either minimize that thrust vector or pull it down a bit, making the quadcopter more efficient at the same speed, or my personal favorite is to keep that thrust vector. So I'll keep my throttle at the same level. So I'll, become, I'll be doing the same amp drop, but I just gained five miles an hour. Makes sense. So now, I, now I'm moving forward a lot faster. And so that's the whole idea about behind the, the long-range ruckus build, is to get all of that, that system wrapped into a nice, clean, tight build, and then also improve the RF, which is why we stuck the antennas where they're at, Kind of those dog ear mounts out the side. Um, I mean, I've taken that setup out to four miles out and back and had perfect video the whole time, had perfect RSSI the whole time, or, or link quality. I guess I use link quality over RSSI, but, and that was the whole idea between the ruckus. And I mean, we were kind of playing off the, the Gen 2 ruckus as well, but I mean, working through all the systems now, it's finally a quadcopter that I'm like, yeah, I'm proud of that one. I want to grab that one and fly that one too. Yeah. That's, and, I like I I'm a, especially aesthetically I love um, thin arms and I've tried a bunch of frames that have super thin arms but they always had like some kind of weird vibe about them and mm-hmm. uh, the ruckus was the first one and some of the thinnest ever um, 
like I mean top down obviously they're 10 mil thick um but it's it was like really refreshing because I think that thin arms are better they look cooler they have less drag um but you know they end up being like tuning forks on a lot of frames but you said you went through different iterations of the shapes of them um Mm -hmm. I I mean like without divulging rebel design secrets is there anything like (laughs) is there anything you found in terms of like the shape of a um quad arm not necessarily even just the ruckus arm but like what can help or what shapes are better for less noise yeah absolutely i mean and honestly i mean there's no secrets i mean people that are like i I guess i just have to say this like if you're going to copy someone's design at least challenge yourself it's like the quad wheels within like five or six hours people had already um like because because we didn't post those files publicly because you know they're company property you know if you want the wheels for the graffiti you can buy the wheels for the graffiti well people started designing them within like five hours of posting the video there were like three or four designs that had gone up on thingiverse already like oh these are the quad wheels design and i mean i'm flattered that i come up with something so dumb that people wanted to copy but (laughs) the designs were just terrible dude like it was terrible it's like tpu rolling on metal thing so it's like i just have to say that if you're gonna copy something at least challenge yourself so if you're going to copy, like, a, a tall arm design, I mean, nobody has it patented. It's like quad wheels. I don't own the idea or the design. I just decided to do it one day. But the quadcopter arm shape makes a pretty big difference. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in a class right now at Strength and Materials, and, and it's calculating, you know, if this much torque is applied, I mean, how much is this uh, member going to stretch? How much is it going to twist? How much is it going to change? Um, because everything changes. Like, even if you have, like, you know, a, a railroad tie of steel and you run that train across and you're like, you know, this big old thick beam of metal, there's no way that it's going to, you know, shrink or whatever. Well, it actually does on a molecular level. Um, composites are a little bit more tricky to do math on, but typically I've found that the, the grain of the carbon fiber as well as the, uh, the length that you're going to do the arm, um, you'll see that between the, the Gen 2 ruckus and the Gen 3, the arm is actually not that much wider. It's only like a millimeter or two wider, but it's two millimeters thicker. So instead of an eight millimeter arm, I, I settled on a 10 millimeter arm, and originally it was a 10 by 10. Um, but I found that the, the width for the ruckus, I actually wanted a little bit taller and a little bit more narrow. And doing that, that ended up having the, the torsional rigidity that I was looking for in that arm. Because typically what I was having is if I grabbed my motor and I would just twist on it, then that motor was actually flexing quite a bit. And as that prop wasn't balanced perfectly, it would it would induce that vibration. So it wasn't so much a vibration of up and down on the arms as much as it was side to side. Gotcha. So as that would vibrate, it would, it would aggravate at different RPM levels. And that was the noise that was getting shot straight through the flight controller. And where it's not an up and down movement, it's like this weird twisting thing. You're, and you're, I mean, you, your thrust vectors are changing a little bit as that motor twists back and forth. But I, I don't know. I, I figured that was probably negligible compared to the amount of noise um, that was going through the frame. So just just dropping those arms another two millimeters thicker really cleaned up a lot of that noise over your typical typical quadcopter uh, resonance frequencies. Noted. Some deep knowledge yeah. right there. Um, do you have any like input or any, um, 
experience with like uh, forged or molded carbon versus layered? Um, sort of. I looked at the actual numbers on it and determined that there's no real reason to go with forged carbon uh, other than it looks really cool. Um, personally, I mean, I haven't actually tried a forged carbon frame, so I really, I really can't say. But with the way that I design quads, with the super long skinny arm, forged carbon would probably be uh, a bad choice because it would introduce weak points in the design where I don't really want to have a, a weak point emphasis. Going through these quad coffers, um, as I was changing the arm shape to another thing to determine is to make a definite weak point in the frame because you don't want to be breaking base plates. You don't want to be, you know, having to disassemble the whole quadcopter to change it out, but you don't want to have the arm too weak either. So, and, and forged carbon where it's just, I mean, a bunch of these just carbon particles just kind of like smashed and mushed together and then autoclaved. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the material is, is like, uh, I'm just trying to think of like the, the different grain boundaries of all these things epoxy together. There, there are some circumstances where I think that forged carbon would be the correct choice, and then I think there are others where it might not be. So, until I actually get the material here and start playing with it in the capacity that I would use it, I really can't say. I think it looks kind of cool though. It, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely looks like ref- um, refreshing, and it's like you know, um, like yeah, a marketable like, tagline. I think it was the what was the frame I saw? I think it was the stingy frame that yeah, I saw with forged sexy. carbon the other day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looked it looked awesome. It looked pretty sick. And I mean, with an arm profile like that, I would feel pretty comfortable with forged carbon. It's um, just I'm you know long, skinny, tall arms. I don't know that forged carbon would would be the right choice. And since you're um, the the CTO or whatever of Rebel, I'll tell you instead of Chase or ask you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Forged carbon motor bells. Do you think it's possible? Forged carbon motor bells. Honestly, I would say no. God damn. Because, because it, and it, it just comes down to the stress strain curve of a composite material versus like aluminum or something. So a motor bell is like, you could probably get it to fly. Um, but you definitely would not want to look at it the wrong way or else that motor bell is probably just going to fly apart because the way a composite works is it's just layers of material that are glued together. And so it's a lot stronger in one direction than it is in the other, which is like, for example, with the ruckus arms, I mean, that's why they're cut the way they are and why they're tall in one direction and, and short in the other or not as wide in the other. If you were to flip that sideways, I mean, it'd be... A completely different animal, and that's where that's what happens with the carbon. But in a motor bell, you have your vertical forces, you have your twisting forces, you have a, a real shear force. And with forged carbon, unless you could, I mean, forged carbon, I guess you kind of could, but I mean, it, it depends on how big you want your motor bell. If you want your motor to be the size of your fist. Yeah, you might be able to get away with making out of forged carbon as long as you could, you know, properly bind that that uh, magnet ring that forged carbon. And you probably need like a like a threaded slip on um, insert for like, yeah, you know, for the prop nut yeah. and everything. Yeah. Well, so you know, I'll I keep mean, dreaming. Yeah, we. I don't know if 
I'm not one to say that it's not possible, just not in the current form factor. Yeah. I would, I would say that it'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd be a challenge. It'd be a, it'd be a, it'd be a definite challenge, but you know, maybe, uh, maybe we start trying that cause that'd be kind of cool. Would be kind of cool. Well, yeah, because like I talked about it on the last, uh, yeah, I think it was the last show with Kyle Antonowich, um, and like, like for freestyle, like proximity stuff, like the unsprung weight, light props, the motors being able to change yeah. direction. Um, like for me, I think it's like every gram you save at the edge of the arm or on the motor or on the prop is like you know exponentially better than saving it in the center of the quad in terms of feel. Um, so that's uh, always like the rabbit hole of like, I'm like, I bet these would be like six, $60 motors, <laughs> but they'd be motors, yeah. motors. Yeah. I used to do that. I used to, I used to do the gram weenie thing. And if you've noticed, uh, the graffiti is one of the heaviest freestyle frames on the market, bro. Um, yeah, it's heavy and like, yeah, it's just, the it's, thing's a tank. It's a lot. It's a and lot. which is why a lot of people don't like running it because it's so heavy. And I mean, if you try and fly the graffiti on like what you like a really light prop, it doesn't perform as well. Yeah. I mean, the graffiti was made for a little bit more meaty prop, like a 50-50 prop with like an 1800 KB 6L motor. I mean, it was definitely made around what I like to fly and what Chase likes to fly. So if you're doing like all about having weight in, in the right spot and this, that, the other, I'm about, I'm, I'm about putting the weight in the right spot. But when it comes to like the, the counting the grams approach, I left that a while ago. All of my, my long-range builds are, you know, 50 to 70 grams heavier than other people's long-range builds. My freestyle builds are the same, 60 to 80 to, I mean, some freestyle builds are, you know, more than that. Racing, I do think that, that counting the grams does make sense, but when it comes to, like, freestyle, it really depends on just the pilot's flying style. Definitely. And, and what you're trying to get out of the quad. Like, and have your quads I, I won't have the wind. Same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're boulders. Yeah. You can't, you know, I mean, the wind doesn't blow them around. Like an anvil up there, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is planted. The graffiti, I mean, it is planted where it's going. And, so. and with the graffiti, do you have, like, all the little aluminum plates and stuff like that? Did you, like, are they purely cosmetic? Do they serve a purpose? And um, do you, like, have you noticed anything with noise having um, aluminum on there? Like, better, worse, any difference? So as noise front, I haven't noticed anything. Um, they haven't made it better. They haven't made it worse. Uh, the aluminum plates used to be a lot thicker than they were, but it was it was the best way to get those vertical body runners that holds the GoPro, that holds the battery in the right shape, that holds the FPV camera where it's supposed to be, that, that routes the antenna where it's supposed to be. We just need a way to attach those carbon fiber body runners to the base plate and I didn't want to try and drill through the carbon. I didn't want to do a bunch of other things. And so the way that those are attached are through those aluminum accent pieces. So you mount that to the body runner, and then uh, you mount that to the base plate. And now that's what mounts. That's basically the whole body, the whole middle body of the quad Makes is sense. those aluminum pieces. Super sick. Yeah, I was wondering that. I was wondering too, like with uh, you know noise, like adding different materials, if you could mitigate it adds more um but yeah glad to hear it's not much <laughs> and it's yeah. a cool place to drop logos and paint sprays and yeah right sense yeah, yeah. tri-anodizing tri whatever chase had the idea to try anodize it which i think looks pretty cool it looks super it look pretty cool. slick so yeah. yeah it's i mean the graffiti is when we released it we knew that it was definitely not forever because of the weight 
just the way it goes. I mean, and some people don't like the H body design. Some people are, you know, true X or bust. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Like if you're trying to say this is the best way to do it, then you know, obviously wrong. For some people, the the weight of the motor makes a big difference. If you're running a light prop, if you like that feel of the quad, if, I mean, that's how you like it to be, then then go for it. Yep. So. Um, and, uh, the final thing I wanted to cover before we get out of here is how did you come up with Skyberries? So Skyberries was, it was my attempt to be as creative as my brother is pretty much what it came up with sibling rivalry. So he was coming up with all, this was like back in the MySpace days where you had to come up with like your MySpace profile and all this weird stuff. And he was, he, he had figured out how to like mesh these two nouns and words together. It's just like, so his usernames were like cardiac, tasty, tree bark, flyby, like all these weird ones. And I came up with skyberries. Um, and then I just kind of stuck with it. And then after, you know, I smashed my quad, it was, I decided to use an FPB handle because I was flying in a parking lot and I was full speed right into this light post, right into the top of the light post. And, uh, I was facing toward myself when I was, when I was flying, when I hit this post and my quadcopter just turned into pieces. Like motor flew off this direction, camera flew out this way, battery obviously ejected out the, the top or the bottom. I can't remember. And I pulled my goggles off because I hit the post. I was like, Oh, pulled my goggles off. It was just raining these parts down from the sky. I was like, Oh, it's like little sky berries. <laughs> I was like, yep. So Guess fitting. that's my new FPV handle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's perfect, man. Well, uh, that's all I got uh, for the stuff I wanted to cover. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to mention or anything that people, the listeners, should stay tuned for from Rebel coming up. Um, be prepared for some for some uh, amazing product releases. Like we're right on the cusp of of like three different new designs that are. Uh, really targeted toward long range and then also uh, cinematic flying and uh, and cinematography. We've got a new platform that we've been... I didn't even tell Chase about it until I was six revisions in and I already had two frames cut on my own. And then I approached Chase and was like, this has kind of been my baby. This has been my, my, my design for a while. So that one is getting ready to be released. Um, I'm cutting the new, the, hopefully the last revision revision 13 uh, this next week and it has some features that have never been seen before but it's made especially to travel around with you um to it's it's uh it's got a lot of features built in to make sure that your shot is framed correctly because i'm doing a lot of action sports uh filming and i'm finding a lot of the time i'm either too close or i'm cutting off like the rider's tire out of the frame or his helmet out of the frame so just being, I mean, I guess I'm being hypersensitive about my frame, my framing, but it's built specifically to travel around for framing as well as a lot of features incorporated to make it so that when you're on set and the director says go, there's nothing that's stopping you from having your quad in the air. So there's a lot of features built in for that. I'm really excited for that one. I think that that one is really going to advance um, pilot capabilities to go out and get paid jobs um, filming to where it's not going to be just kind of like a, a niche that the pr- production agencies know exists, but it's really going to become an option to a lot more FPV pilots to where they'll be like, yeah, you know, I have equipment that I can come out and I can film and I can get some really awesome killer shots for you 
And uh, so that's mainly what I'm excited to do. I mean, like quad wheels, I'm excited to see where they go, what people do fun for fun. But this new frame, um, as well as this new long range frame, um, we're super hyped to see exactly which doors it's going to open for people. So be watching for that one. If not in the next month, hopefully the next couple months for the, for the release date on that one. Um, I've been doing a lot of testing, a lot of prototyping, and it's been a lot of uh, positive feedback from uh, these uh, these agencies that be like, you know, I've, I've worked with FAB pilots in the past, but not really impressed because either the gear is down or they're changing a battery or they've got to change props or they've got to do this, this, that, the other. And so they don't really understand all that. All they know is that you're you're not on your game. Yep. So there's some, some issue. Oh, video link, what? This, that, the other. They don't care about that. All they care is that, you know, their athlete is ready to go and they're using your shop. So you better be there. So, lots of cool, fun stuff. I could uh, I could talk for hours, but we've got that along with uh, another. Uh, I wouldn't call it a spinoff of that frame, but uh, there's another frame that kind of goes in hand in hand with that. That is more geared toward the pilot being able to do their own personal, like cinematic stuff. Um, a lot of I, I don't know this. Oh, it's so cool. I'm so, I, I, I don't want to say too much, I'm hyped. but I don't like, want to say too I mean, little. You know what kind of videos <laughs> I make. I'm, I'm super stoked. <laughs> yeah. Like for what you do, this is going to be really nice. Um, it's definitely focusing on keeping the quadcopter a lot lighter than like the graffiti. It's not necessarily like a, a street quad, meaty quad. Um, but there are a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, new features. Like I was going through, I was counting. There's about five features that I haven't seen that have been done on a, uh, on a quadcopter build previously to this capacity. There have been some that have been, you know, similar concept or idea, but the way that this one ties it all together. And, and it was just because as I would do one version, I would say, Oh, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this now? Wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Wouldn't it be cool if we could do this, do this, do this. So now we've wrapped all of those together and I've kept the weight down to like, I think built up it's, it's like 300 grand or, or something like that right now. Three, that's 330. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for a cinematic rig, that's you're not light. doing punch outs. And, and doing, the, the cinematic rig is, is actually uh, lighter than that. The cinematography rig, though, has a lot of new, um, a lot of new hardware, a lot of new electronics. Um, we're getting a new circuit board actually built over in China for it specifically. Um, so that we can really unlock the stuff. I'm working with Brain right now to get a new uh, feature put on the Brain flight controller, which if you don't know, Brain FPV has a HD framing box that you can turn on. Yeah. And so with the quadcopter, you'll you'll set the, you know, you'll pull up your phone, you'll link to the GoPro app, you point your quadcopter to the wall, and using the GoPro app, you'll tape off where the frame of the GoPro sees, and then you'll go into the Brain FPV OSD menu, the special Brain OSD, and you can turn on HD framing, and then you can stretch or, or shrink that box to match your frame lines so you know exactly what's in frame so you never get home after a day of filming and you're like oh there's this epic shot that i know i made and you go and you look and it's person diving off the cliff where's his head it's half the person diving off the cliff yeah exactly so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of cool features built into that quad i'm super excited about that one right now um but yeah so i mean i guess watch for that stuff i obviously i'm gonna hype it because you know I'm making it. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. I mean, everything with a grain of salt, but these, I mean, these products are the ones that I'm really excited. I think it's going to open up a lot of, uh, of, uh, gigs for FPV pilots, especially, um, um, paid gigs 
and I think it's going to put FPV a little bit more on the map for, for filming. I think that's where FPV is going. We saw the huge bump in freestyle. We saw the huge bump in racing. Um, I think they were about to see the huge bump in having FPV become a, uh, a production asset for, for a lot more things. I completely agree. Um, well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing the show. It was a long time yeah. coming. I told Chase uh, I wanted to have you on here, and I really appreciate the insight. This was awesome. Yeah, I'll have to chat more often. Yeah, next time you roll through town or next time I through, roll through your town, we'll have to fly together. Yeah, well, I'm in Pittsburgh, Kansas now. I can't imagine you'd uh, be hanging out here for any reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't either, honestly. But, you know, yeah. you never know. Come film some combines. Um, right? Yeah, um, I used to work as a farmhand, so you know it. Uh, and good yeah. luck dredging that drone out of a lake tomorrow, man. I'll be thinking yeah, of you. Yeah, I gotta go uh, weld up that rake and uh, see if we can go reclaim it. Oh. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, well, have a good one, and thanks for doing this. Peace. Hey, you too, man. Talk to you later. See ya.